the Why Watch That Talk. And we're back, of course. And you know what we're back with, listeners? We're back with more television. (laughs) (laughs) I I am not going to let these movies take me down. We're just going to let TV do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's a swamp of television. It's a swamp of television. Also, the Golden Globe nominations came out. So that is Mm -hmm. a TV and movie uh nominated sort of organization yeah and just to let you all know you can check out the golden globe we have a a little deal on our instagram of some of the golden globe nominees and some of the shows and things of that nature so you can swipe through and see what uh what's out there but for right now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what's going on here Mm. at home and why watch that and we're there's a couple season premieres that are coming through and even a series premiere and a, maybe a mid-season finale let's start let's start overseas with the vikings <laughs> <laughs> i that's not how vikings that's not how they talk but no, that's, that's just scottish that's scottish and i always have to yell <laughs> i'm so sorry if you're a scott but if you're a viking i'm not sorry it is on History Channel. This is probably History Channel's most successful show. Like, period. This is season five. We're halfway through it. They're pumping out 20 episodes a season. It's already renewed for season six. Come on. Yeah. We're at the Vikings. And wow. Is this a Game of Thrones or? Mm. Well, <laughs> or- now, you know I'm going to get to that. Yeah, I know it. And listeners, guess what? This is the first time we are reviewing Vikings. Nuh-uh. What's yeah. Up? Yeah. Because we about, No, we've talked about Vikings for a hot second before. Yeah, I don't know. But it was I, early on, but we never came back. Well, because I didn't watch it. Now, <laughs> <laughs> what happened is I started watching it a few years ago and stopped because I didn't have time. And I said, mm, you know, maybe I should give this some room. And then I came back to it. Okay, so I'll hold on that for now, but let's talk about the story. Now, at the start of the second half of the fifth season of Vikings, as predicted by the always accurate seer, the aftermath of the war between the sons of legendary Viking king Ragnar Lothbrok is rearing its ugly head. There's a new king of Kattegat, Ivar the Boneless, who's Ragnar's deviously smart son. And Ivar's brother, Vitsek, is still by his side, but so is their supposed ally, King Harold, who can't be trusted. He still wants to be king of all Norway, of course. Now, in order to win the war, Ivar, Vitsek, and Harold struck a deal with Ragnar's brother, Rollo, who became French royalty years ago. This sounds like Game of Thrones. But why in the world would Rolo side with them instead of with his oldest and favorite nephew, Bjorn Ironside, and with Lagatha, who's Bjorn's mother, Ragnar's first wife, former queen of Kattegat in her own right, and by the way, the love of Rolo's life? Why indeed? Well, the reason why is quickly revealed, and it doesn't look so good for Ivar and co. Now, Bjorn, Lagatha, Bjorn's half-brother, Ube, and Bjorn's former wife and Uba's current love interest, Torvi, 
had to decide where to go next. After losing the war, they're not safe in Norway, where Ivar's men are trying to track them down. However, Christian Bishop Hickman, who's a Saxon, has an idea. Since they decided against killing him and let him fight alongside them, and most importantly, since he's fallen in love with Lagatha, Hickman says, hey, return me to Wessex and what we now call England, and I'll make sure that you're protected as long as you fight for us. But can the warrior bishop be trusted? Plus, Hickman doesn't know that change is afoot in Wessex. Alfred has just been crowned king and a blow to his half-brother, his older brother as well, Prince Aethelred. But King Alfred is the kind of guy who keeps his own counsel and is the furthest thing from a fool. Also, in a completely tangential storyline, there's Ragnar's good friend Floki, who led a band of Vikings to an uninhabited island with the promise that it was the land of the gods. After seeing this so-called promised land, though, nothing but bickering, fighting, and killing have ensued, which is exactly what Floki was trying to escape. So he offers himself as a sacrifice to the gods as penance. But will enough of the settlers, prodded by a transparently ambitious man who wants to be their leader, accept Floki's offer? Or will they reject Floki's offer, much to the transparently ambitious man's chagrin? And then what? Now, the thing about Vikings that makes it so entertaining is that after the first half or so of season one, they don't waste your time. Thank God. Ugh. They focus on the important bits of the story, which is loosely based on history, and leap over everything else. So thankfully, this ain't Game of Thrones. <laughs> you don't have to wait forever to get to what matters. Now, to be fair, is this show's visuals, dialogue, and acting as good as that of great Game of Thrones? No, but so what? But they also don't have the budget. They sure don't. And they're certainly good enough, and you're always left wanting more, which I can't say about that other show. Plus, this show's writers know what they're doing. Just take a look at how they deal with characters who speak different languages in the presence of each other. I've never seen that done better. So here's my final point. If you've never seen Vikings and you're interested, definitely check it out. You can, as I did, binge the first four and a half seasons via Hulu or Amazon Prime. After that, the only problem will be that you'll have only one episode per week to watch, which is a problem that current watchers of the show willingly endure, of course. Mm, well, I just want to reiterate that the critic is located in New York. So all of you Game of Thrones heads can direct your hate mail there. Let's move on <laughs> to The Last Kingdom, which also sounds like the brother to Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> the long lost brother. This is The Last Kingdom, um, but it's not what you think. Uh, it's season three on Netflix. Of course you can binge it. You don't have to wait like other shows. Do tell us about The Last Kingdom. Yeah, so this, like you said, is almost like a continuation of the events shown in Vikings. So comparisons between the two are inevitable. However, The Last Kingdom is set in the late 9th century, which is a time period that's just after that of Vikings. And while it has some of the same characters, they are used differently and have different fates. 
Also, instead of, instead of calling the Norse Vikings, they're called Danes in this show. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Now, before I compare the two shows on a qualitative level, let's get the basics of the Last Kingdom story out of the way. At the beginning of this show's third season, Uhtred, the son, or, or the Saxon nobleman, I should say, who was kidnapped and raised by the Danes after they killed his family, is still in the employ of King Alfred the Great. But can King Alfred trust that Uhtred will be loyal to him? After all, Uhtred has his own agenda and he always manages to do whatever pleases him, much to the dismay of the not to be trifled with Father Bayaka. Despite that though, King Alfred needs Uhtred's help to keep Wessex safe from marauding Danes, most notably in the form of the followers of Earl Sigurd Bloodhair. Okay. You see, Alfred and Uhtred are informed of Bloodhair's desire to attack Wessex, so Uhtred suggests that they attack Bloodhair's Danes first. Now, in addition to Bloodhair, there's Skade, a seer of terrible beauty, whose Bloodhair's sorceress and more. In bloody fashion, she tells Bloodhair that she's foreseen the death of Alfred on the battlefield, which pleases Bloodhair and sets him on a collision course with Uhtred. However, to keep the, what, what you have to keep in mind is this, that Uhtred essentially has a split personality. He has reasons to fight for Wessex and reasons to fight for the Danes. So the question is, which side will win him over and for how long? Each side has need of him and has no trouble showing it. Also, what about King Alfred's desire to unite the seven separate kingdoms that are located in what we now call England? No. Unfortunately, Alfred's health is failing him, and he has to contend not only with raiding Danes, but also with other Saxon challengers, some of whom might be just under his nose. Uh-oh. All right, now, it's time to compare. Let's yeah. compare this show to Vikings, which is its precursor, not only in history, but also in real time. The Vikings came on the air first. Mm. I have to say that The Last Kingdom has a similar look and a somewhat similar storyline as Vikings. However, it doesn't do anything better than Vikings. Ooh. So if you've seen Vikings, watching this show is a constant reminder of how Vikings does things in a more compelling fashion. In comparison, it just seems that The Last Kingdom has less ambition. It's an echo of Vikings. Even still, The Last Kingdom isn't a bad show. They do a pretty good job. So if you're a Vikings watcher and haven't seen The Last Kingdom yet, go ahead and check it out if you want even more of this kind of story, regardless of how it compares. However, I suggest that you wait until Vikings is on hiatus to watch Last Kingdom. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Because watching them concurrently does not put The Last Kingdom in its best light. On the other hand, to end this review, if you haven't seen either of these shows but you're interested, start with Vikings. Mm. Then yes. if you find that you want even more, go to The Last Kingdom. Oh, any familiar actors in The Last Kingdom? <laughs> Well, yes, of course there are some familiar actors, right? Now, who are you talking about, though? You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> you have to go on IMDb to find that out. <laughs> uh, let's move on to The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the very much anticipated season two 
of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, especially high off their like sweep, basically, uh, when it came to the Emmys. Mm-hmm. Best actress, best supporting actress, best show. I mean, not everybody got nominated. Even, you know, the butler got nominated. And I don't even know if there is a butler. So everybody's been anticipating season two. It's here. You've seen it all. I'm only up to probably episode four. Mm. And where are we with the now fresh off of her on again, off again, off again relationship with her husband, Mr. Maisel, and now her new booming career. Is it all that it's cracked up to be like it was in season one? Mm. Well, after her triumphant performance at the end of season one, Midge has to face the consequences of that performance in season two. Yes, she do. Hubby Joel, like you said, just can't see how he could be married to her anymore. I mean, how can he be her husband and the butt of her jokes at the same time? Yeah, just stop doinking the uh, secretaries. How about that? Uh, well, it's the late 50s, remember? <laughs> <laughs> and even if it weren't, that probably still wouldn't fly. I can tell you that. Uh-oh. So instead of asking Midge to give up on being a comic, she's too talented for that. He decides to leave her for real this time. But Midge now wants to stay married. Ugh. But just how long will that last? Hmm. Also, Joel is starting to become more of his own man, and he's not afraid to assert himself both at his parents' home, where he lives, and at his parents' business, which is a mess. And speaking of a mess, (laughs) Midge's parents, Rose and Abe, are having problems of their own. Rose is fed up with being ignored, so she moves to Paris. Yep, to Paris. Bye-bye. Now, of course, this takes both Midge and Abe by surprise. So they decide to go to Paris to bring Rose back. But just what is Rose up to in that wonderful city? And does Abe have what it takes to separate Rose from that city which she loves? The development of that storyline might surprise you. (laughs) And where Abe goes throughout this season, I guarantee you will not see coming. Mm. Now, let's go back to Midge and her work. First of all, she was fired from her job at that high-end department store's cosmetics counter after you know what happened in season one. So now, Midge works as one of that department store's telephone switchboard operators. I will connect you. (laughs) Which is, and it's wonderfully introduced in the first episode of the season. And of course, Midge is the best operator you've ever seen. But is that all she's destined for? Also, this job might be jeopardized by her burgeoning stand-up career. You see, her talent manager, Susie, who has her own weird and potentially dangerous and costly problems, is doing whatever she can to get the job done, or trying to at least, which means that Midge is starting to get more exposure, not to mention that recording of her stand-up from season one. But Midge isn't quite ready to be known as a stand-up comic outside of the comedy world. She still needs to work to feed herself and the kids, right? And no one in her family other than Joel knows that she's a comic, but how long will that last? Not very. Plus, she's not the only one with a secret. (laughs) However, she never misses an opportunity, even the slightest one, to perform a set, for better or for worse. And speaking of a set, what exactly is the connection between Midge and Lenny Bruce? Oh, I don't even know that. By the end of this show's second season, you'll have plenty of answers, but lots more questions. Ooh. Mm. 
Well, both of us are huge fans of the show. We can both say that season two is not quite season one, but it's still enjoyable, right? That's right. Um, and you know, Rep, the best way to think of it is to think of it as a classic movie musical. Yeah, that's a great way to think of it. Let's move on to counter. Oh, are we done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got it because I finished it, so I've got to guide people. Oh, jeez, well, they guide us, oh, great one. <laughs> <laughs> so just to say, you know, if I expand that idea, though, Raph, of the movie musical, you still have great period music, everybody. Though few of the characters sing, some of them do. The the look, the colors, all of that, it works on any any TV or street or device actually. I watch some of it on my mobile device. It works even there. You get some dancing. You get a whole lot of emoting that almost borders on the fantastical. You get sweeping camera work still. You get mountains of dialogue still, right? And all of this has musicality. Uh, but what I will say is that helps because there are peaks and valleys here that you were hinting at. So it's not too difficult to just gloss over that stuff. Plus this cast really enjoys playing these roles and saying these lines. And they always bring us into their world, which is no easy feat. So just keep that in mind, everybody. Also, I do have to say the stand-ups here are thankfully still the dirty jewel in this otherwise sparkling crown. Yeah. Are you done? Well, actually, what I could... No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Counterpart on Stars. It's in its second season. And for those of you who do have stars, you know that they are pumping out all sorts of content. And Counterpart seems to be doing well. Yeah. Now, let's break down this story. I'm really going to break it down for all of season one. It'll help for season two. <sighs> so, in 1987... A portal to a parallel and almost identical Earth, as in a parallel universe, was accidentally created by East German scientists. And as a result, the UN created an agency called the Office of Interchange, or OI for short, which is located in both Berlins. And they handled the subsequent dealings between Alpha Earth and the parallel Earth called Prime. Now, these two Earths have become and are continuing to become less and less alike over time, of course, and there's an uneasy relationship between them that was exacerbated by a devastating flu pandemic on Prime Earth in 1996. This pandemic has killed upwards of billions of people, and there are people in the Prime Universe who believe that it was caused by people from Alpha Earth. As a result, these people from Prime went all-out revenge, and to accomplish it, They have all kinds of undercover operatives, including doppelgangers for key people from Alpha Earth and assassins who infiltrate Alpha Earth to accomplish various nefarious deeds. But not everyone is in on the scheme, which leads to infighting at the OI on Prime Earth. And this takes us to the two lead characters, both called Howard Silk and both played by J.K. Simmons, of course. The Alpha Howard is an employee at the OI but he had no idea that there was a parallel Earth until after his wife, Emily, was almost killed and subsequently slipped into a coma. Emily's a spy, which he didn't know either. This leads to Alpha Howard meeting Prime Howard, who couldn't be more different as far as anyone can tell. 
Prime Howard is a field agent and spy for the OI who crosses over to Alpha Earth in order to bring people who illegally cross from Prime to Alpha back to Prime. Oy. And Prime Howard is no joke. So it's up to the Howards and their allies on both sides to try to figure out exactly what's going on with the revenge scheme and who's involved in that scheme before it's too late. Emily's and other people's lives are at stake and the future of relations between the two Earths are at stake. And along the way, they must figure out who's trustworthy and who's not, and they must contend with different versions of different people, including Emily, on different Earths. Essentially, they can't trust anybody, possibly including each other, Plus, their allegiances must shift in uncomfortable ways, and they must com compromise, and in certain cases, work with the people who've betrayed them against the people who haven't. Now, as you can probably tell, look now. Does this show take some work to follow? Westworld. And now, see, there you go. But... It's not exactly Westworld either. You do have to pay attention as you do with many spy thrillers. Uh, you do have to be patient, but it's not Westworld level, no. Great. But is being patient worth it? I'd say yes if you like this kind of thing. Now, the first half of season one, just so you know, was good, but not quite good enough to keep me going when it first aired. But I came back to it in preparation for season two. And what I found is the second half of season one moved the story forward a little better. They divulged more interesting info and they explored more fruitful parts of the story in that latter half. And in the first episode of season two, I have to say that thankfully they continue that. You have more tension coming in. You have more characters and crazy situations. So while the pace is still appropriate for a spy thriller, it might, it might keep you hooked now. So if you like good multi-layered spy thrillers with a hint of sci-fi and an excellent cast, Counterpart will reward the time you invest in it. Bad blood. Yes, on Netflix. It's a series premiere of a new show called Bad Blood. It's eight episodes, and the second season just finished its run in Canada, where apparently the show is bigger than Taylor Swift. So the question is is it going to be. Is it, uh, are we going to uh, have bad blood with bad blood, or is this going to be a good blood kind of thing? Ooh. Well, in this, like you said, Canadian series, the focus is on the real-life Rizzuto Mafia family. They control the flow of drugs, especially cocaine and heroin, from Montreal, where they uh, live, where they're located, to the northeastern U.S. And while this flow of drugs began in the 60s, in 1996, they decided to create a syndicate of sorts, which includes the Irish, Haitians, and bikers. Mm -hmm. And of course, whenever criminal organizations join together, there are bound to be problems, which takes us to 10 years later, when 2006. At the moment, the family boss, Vito, knows that he must continue to keep his family's delicate crime syndicate together. He wants to keep the peace and keep the money flowing. Plus his father, Nicolo, is still there to provide advice and support, so that's good. But Vito's son, Nico Jr., well, he wants in on the business, which isn't what Vito has planned for him. Vito wants Nico to stay in real estate because Vito has a plan to legitimize all of his businesses of which Nico can be the CEO. <laughs> 
However, Vito has a problem in the form of the New York-based Bonanno Mafia family. You see, he was involved in the murder of three of their captains decades ago. So in 2006, after a mob boss turned state, state's witness in the U.S., Vito was implicated in that triple murder, which results in Vito being sentenced to 10 years in a Colorado prison. So who's going to take over as head of the family syndicate while he's locked up? Well, that responsibility falls to Declan Gardner, one of Vito's most trusted lieutenants. But just how far is Declan going to rise after he assumes power? And what will that mean for Vito? Also, what about Nico Jr. and Grandpa Nicolo? I'll give you a hint. Declan is the one who narrates this show. Also, the Bananos are a threat and they're not the only ones. Now, here's what I'll say about Bad Blood. It echoes shows and by extension movies that we've seen before and are seeing now. Narcos comes to mind since it's also based on true drug crime events and all that stuff. It's narrated by a main character, blah, 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 blah. But I think this show would work best for fans of Sons of Anarchy. Ah. Yeah, because after all, uh, Kim Coates, who plays Declan, he was a part of the Sons of Anarchy cast. And the style and execution of the two shows are on a similar level. Now, if you're also a fan of Narcos and or Gamora, let's say, then Bad Blood might be a decent addition to your watch list, but those shows are certainly superior to this one in every way. So for me, this show is just too reminiscent of too many other things to watch right now. But look, the execution is clunkier in comparison. It's a little stale, but if you're interested, don't let that stop you. It's not bad, even though it's called Bad Blood. Yay! <laughs> I think Taylor Swift would love it. <laughs> Moving on to, uh, we're going to end it with the mid-season finale of one of your favorite shows. It's in season two. It's on CBS. Yep, it's another 22-episoder. 22, 22 yeah. And, of course, we're talking about young Sheldon. Yes, the Big Bang Theory. Sheldon is a kid, and he is no less... Any more, uh, more Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and so far in the second season, Sheldon's had to, well, he's had to deliver newspapers, help his mother find her faith in God again, do his parents' taxes, which unearthed some secrets, participate in a study with his twin sister, Missy, which had surprising results, play video games with his Meemaw in his own way, Witness the professed love between his Mima and his mentor, physics professor John Sturgis, and reluctantly choose psychology as the best out of a bunch of terrible choices for an elective at school. And as a result of that psychology class, he attempted to observe his family over the Thanksgiving break as an impartial observer. But unfortunately for Sheldon, the scientists within succumbed to pesky human emotions. Also throughout the season, Sheldon has had to contend with Paige, who's a little younger than him and a little smarter than him. How annoying. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Now, while Paige is more than his equal as an intellect, she also knows how to have fun like any other 10-year-old and enjoys spending time with Missy, which is even more annoying. But Sheldon becomes concerned after Paige tells him that a leading psychology magazine states that overly mature children grow up to be social outcasts as adults. And this leads Sheldon on a journey to discovering his inner child to avoid that fate. But is he even capable of having any fun? 
And with that, young Sheldon takes a well-deserved break until next year. At this point, it's a well-oiled machine that's a consistent pleasure to watch. It has a great mix of characters, which leads to a great mix of viewpoints, intellects, obstacles, and senses of humor. And it's executed beautifully. It's still a winner. Yes. <laughs> well, you heard it here. The critic is has spoken. <laughs> and you can catch all of these shows. Um, again, they're currently available, I'm sure, on your on-demand, on your uh, paid streaming subscription. Or you can just, you know, wait till next year. I'm sure some of these shows will be Golden Globe hits. <laughs> <laughs> but until then, you'll just have to do with this now. <laughs>